This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts chapter number 2, if you would. Acts chapter 2, we're continuing our series entitled Better Together. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecala.church. My favorite way to stay caught up is to download the Huicala app. And so if you haven't gotten that already, go ahead and do that. Also during this phase, we don't have any notes that we're passing out or anything like that. So we, I, I send you an email link ahead of time. If you get a chance to print out those notes, you can bring them with you. Or you can actually download the Huicala app. Click on the button that says podcast at the bottom. There's a, a button for today's message. If you click that, there's a section that says fill in notes. You can fill out your uh, notes in your web browser and then email them to yourself when you're done. Or if you just want to jot down notes today, you can do that as well. Whatever you do, take really good notes because we often forget uh, what we learn really, really quickly. And so I hope you have a system in some way uh, that you take notes and that'll help you in your growth as a Christian. We're continuing to take a look at through the early church and how we can learn from the early church and the way that they lived life and the things that were important to them and things that really made them the church. And uh, we'll be taking a look at that as we continue today. I've entitled today's message, The Church, A Community for Spirit-Filled Living. We've been taking a look over the last several weeks at what makes the local church so important to us. And we're continuing today in Acts chapter number two. Just to give you a little bit of context, Acts chapter one, Jesus has already been crucified. Uh, beginning of the... the uh, book he has raised uh, from the dead on his own power. Uh, the resurrection is uh, one of the most amazing feats in all of human history. Uh, the fact that God became a man, died for our sins, and rose again the third day victorious. Jesus tells him in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, stay here in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, I want you to tell everybody in the entire world what you've seen. And so beginning of Acts chapter number 2, the, the apostles have received the Holy Spirit. They began to preach the gospel uh, to, uh, in different languages that previously were unknown to them. Uh, Peter gives uh, the uh, gospel presentation on the day of Pentecost. There's a large uh, gathering of people from all over the world had come to Jerusalem for this feast. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and that day, thousands of people accept Jesus Christ as Savior. That's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse number 37 today. Acts chapter 2, verse number 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now I want to pause for just a second and say this. Every time you read the Bible, you should ask yourself that question. What am I supposed to do with this? We never read the Bible strictly for information. We always read the Bible for application. And so I want to know, the Bible tells me what I should do. What am I supposed to do with what I've read? And so always read the Bible with the idea of what I'm supposed to get from this. Verse number 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the, Holy, the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is unto you and to your children, all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord, call, Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. 
They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We see a phenomenal thing taking place here. Peter preaches the gospel and invites people to respond. And in the same day, there were 3,000 people saved, baptized, added to the church. And we really begin to see the church as we know it started that day and it's never stopped since. And so we see what took place after that. Man, 3,000 people saved, baptized. What happened then? Then it says, then they continued they kept on going. It wasn't the matter of uh, they put their faith in Jesus and they just stopped. No, they continued to follow after Jesus. And they continued steadfastly. How? First of all, in the apostles' doctrine. We took a look at two weeks ago how doctrine is so incredibly important to us. Doctrine is a body of truth that we subscribe to. It's the glue that holds the church together. Then we took a look at last week how the church, they continued in fellowship. And that word fellowship means community. Uh, the word fellowship that's used there is the Greek word koinonia. And the word koinonia basically means the things that are in common. So we see that they shared a, a sense of community there and they continued to grow. So as we take a look at, first of all, if you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down this thought. First of all, they continued in community. When God saved you, he automatically put you into the family of God, but he also gave you a community or a local family to be able to carry out the Christian life, to be able to live out this new commitment that you've made to Jesus and again, the word koinonia means communion or participation, willing contribution. And the idea is this, that we that are Christians, we that are uh, followers of Jesus Christ are putting ourselves into a community where we can grow and continue in our faith. This is critical for us as Christians because the Christian life was never meant to be done by yourself. And you might say, well, you know, I'm kind of more of a myself, I'm kind of a more to a, uh, an introvert by nature maybe, or I keep to myself more uh, than, than others, and I don't really necessarily need community. Let me tell you this, everybody needs community. Now, depending on your personality type that you have, you might be really okay being by yourself alone. Uh, I remember my wife and I, when we first started dating, we'd gone to a restaurant and uh, we were having dinner, and about three tables over there was a guy there on a Friday night that was eating dinner by himself, and she goes, that's so sad, and I go, what? She goes, that poor guy over there having dinner by himself on a Friday night. I said, hold up. Don't feel sorry for that guy. That guy's loving life right now. You know, he didn't have to ask anybody where they wanted to go to dinner. He just went. He didn't have to ask anybody, do you want an appetizer? He just bought it. He doesn't have to share his dessert with anybody. And when he's done, you know what he's going to do? Whatever he wants. So don't feel bad for that guy. And she goes, you sound like you, you know this guy fairly well. I go, I am that guy, right? Don't feel sorry for him. He's loving life, right? And that might be you. It might be you. I can go to dinner by myself. I don't need anybody. I can stay home by myself. It's fine with me. Let me just tell you this. That might be your personality, but that's not how God created you to be inside his community. If anything, I believe the, the three months that we weren't able to meet together and have church services together, I think God pointed out to me uh, that I'm an introvert by nature, but I really like contact with other people just kind of on my own terms, right? Uh, I, I still need human interaction. And just being able to see people in public, you know, I felt like a dog sometimes when people walk down the sidewalk, I run up to the window and look and see when people walk by. It's like, just need that interaction with people, you know? 
And to this day, it's still kind of weird, you know, to, to have to walk to, a, uh, go up to the, the counter to store, and there's a big plastic sheet of plastic between you and the person and things like that. And I really, really, really appreciate your patience during this time, being able to wear a mask to church and sanitize your hands. And I know it's weird to pre-register for church services, but that really helps us. And I just want to make sure that we as a church are being wise through this time, uh, making sure that we're doing our part to make it sure that we can continue to move forward. Uh, I have some friends that pastor in California. Man, California is in bad shape right now. Uh, some of the colleges said they're not having fall uh, classes this semester uh, on campus. Uh, they actually, in, in 17 counties, actually said uh, no more dine-in service in restaurants, uh, no more gatherings, no more movie theaters, all bars are closed, which I think all bars should be closed anyways. But um, the church services never actually got the green light to have services in California. A lot of them just decided to do it anyways. But uh, they said if you're going to meet, you can't sing in public. And so uh, all this, I think, is happening because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So for us, whether you believe it or not, whether you subscribe to it or not, I want to say this. I want to do our part to be a good neighbor to our community uh, and to do our best to keep everybody else safe. And so I, I appreciate your patience and your willingness to, to be able to do that during this time. But here's what I know. If we had to come in a hazmat suit next Sunday, I would come because I need community. I need to be with you guys. Uh, I, I, I must confess, I have been sneaking knuckle bumps here and, that, here and now. I've been sanitizing my hands in between knuckle bumps, but I've been having them. Uh, just because why? Because God created us to be in a community, to be plugged in, to be connected with other people, and we have to continue that way. We see... Uh, as we look through this passage, uh, I actually read a, a quote that, that really kind of fleshed this out for me uh, several years ago, and I made note of it. One author said this. He said, you want to know that your new life is real. Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. Don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you love God. The truth will show itself. Here's what community requires. Community begins with a vulnerability and a desire to learn. Community means I've got some people that I'm willing to be open and honest with. I'm willing to open up a little bit to some people. And I really want to grow. I really want to learn in my relationship with God. And we, we really see that in the, the first century church here that we find in Acts chapter 2. But to be a part of a community requires that you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable. Uh, if you're not part of one of our small groups that meets here at Huikala uh, online right now, Join a small group this week. It's a great way to get to know other people in our church. Uh, it's a great way to, to learn what other people are going through. And it gives you the opportunity to be a little bit vulnerable. I, I lead the Anchor Journey group on Wednesday nights, and we've got probably, I don't know, uh, 10 or so of us that meet online. But this past week, several folks shared some things that they've never shared with anybody before. They say, hey, I'm going to be transparent, and I'm just going to put this out there. And then they would share something, and everybody else was like, wow. And another person said, I'm going to share this then. And we see people being vulnerable. We see people opening up and allowing themselves to be able to know others and be known. But being a part of a community also requires a desire to grow, a desire to grow closer to other people, a desire to grow closer to the Lord, a desire to know more about God. And community gives us the opportunity to be able to do that. You don't need a sense of community or you don't need a community if you feel like you've got it all together, if you feel like you know everything that there is to know. You've got enough relationships to get you by. But community requires us to say, hey, I don't have it all together. I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to get to know other people. I need more connections in my life. I don't know about you, but I need more Christian friends in my life. I need more connections with other solid Christians that can help me grow in my faith. I need that. And so community really is the essence of saying, 
I need to grow. I need to be connected with other people. I'm willing to be vulnerable. And let me just tell you this. If you choose to be a part of a community, you will be vulnerable. You'll be transparent. And let me just tell you this. I'm going to save you all the trouble. You will get hurt. Well, that's not very encouraging, Pastor. I'm just trying to be real with you. At some point, somebody's going to say something to disappoint you. At some, at some point, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Worst thing in the world could happen, somebody's going to hurt your kids' feelings. Uh, that's just kind of the price of admission of being a part of a community. It's being vulnerable. It's growing in our faith together. And let me just tell you this, at Huicala, when you get hurt, when you get disappointed, and you will, I pray that the person that hurts you will apologize and you will choose to forgive and give grace. Or you'll just choose to forgive and give grace even if they don't apologize because all of us have had to do that from time to time. But here's the fact of the matter. Being a part of a community is part of being committed to one another. And as we look at the idea of community, community can really be summed up by one phrase. You before me. You before me. And that idea of community, of putting other people before myself, is really the way that Jesus Christ lived his life. It's really the way that Jesus taught us to live. I'm gonna put the well-being of others before the well-being of myself. This morning we had people over there teaching kids uh, because they said, I wanna serve the families in our church that have children. Some of them came to the eight o'clock service and heard preaching and were encouraged by the word. And now they're going to the 10 o'clock hour and actually serving, you know why? Because they're saying, you before me. Our folks that were outside greeting or helping park cars, they just got in a little bit late uh, to the service. They didn't get the opportunity to sing with everyone else. Uh, you know why? Because they said, hey, you before me this week. I wanted to put myself before other people. And being a part of a community is not something that we do for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Being a part of a community is really a lifetime commitment that we have to Jesus and his church. In the uh, first service uh, this morning, eight o'clock service, we had... Uh, Tommy and Iris Peralta in our, in our services. Tommy and Iris have been a part of Huicala since Huicala started seven years ago, and they've been faithful. Yesterday, they celebrated their five-year wedding anniversary. They were the very first couple that I ever married here at Huicala, and they were in church still on a Sunday morning. That encouraged my heart. Tommy was one of the first people that I led to Christ here at Huicala, and Tommy was in church this morning. Tommy was with the, the first group of people that I ever baptized here at Huicala, and you know where he was? Five years later, still in church, still being faithful to Jesus. I love that because Tommy wasn't faithful for a couple of months and then fell off. He's been faithful for years. And when we measure faithfulness and commitment to the community, we don't measure it in, in weeks and months. We measure it in years and decades. And we want to be faithful to Jesus and his community, his church for the long haul because it benefits others and it benefits us. The great part about being a part of a community that's diverse and different is I get to learn from you, and you get to learn from me, and we get to do it together. We're on this journey together. And the idea is this, that you bring things to the table that I don't have, that I can grow and learn from you. You have unique life experiences that I don't have. Maybe where you grew up or the type of family that you grew up in is different than me, and I want to learn and grow from you. And that's the idea of being a part of community, where we can learn and grow together from one another, but it requires commitment on everybody's part. As we take a look at this early church, we took a look at last week at how they made up the, the community. as a multicultural, multi-ethnic uh, community, people from all over the, the earth. 
Here we're taking a look at how we carry out that community. If you uh, really just walk through this passage of Scripture with me this morning, starting in verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We took a look at that already two weeks ago. Fellowship, we took a look at that last week. Community. And breaking of bread, we'll get to that in a minute, but also in prayers. So we see that they continued in prayer. Really part of the DNA of who we call of, of what makes us what we are is prayer. We've always been a church of prayer. We felt like God was calling our family to come back to Honolulu for the purpose of planting a church. Uh, that began probably around 2011 time frame. God began to work in our hearts and, and began to direct us back here. We began to pray for this church before the church ever even had a name before we ever had a location, before we ever had uh, any members of our church, we began to pray. We began to pray for several specific things, that God would give us a place where we could, we could call our home, could make a home base of operations for uh, our church. We began to pray for people, that God would bring a group of people here that would help us to get this thing started and get it off the ground and serve alongside us in ministry. We prayed that God would save people at this church and people would be baptized and be discipled and grow in their faith and then pass their faith on to other people and the church would grow organically as we began to spread out and reach out in our city. Fast forward almost 10 years after those prayers were prayed, we begin to see those things begin to flesh out here. We see a building that God's given us here in the heart of a city. We see a people that God's gathered together to help us get this off the ground. We see people that are being saved, baptized, added to the church, growing in their faith, passing on their faith to other people. Now, it's something special, and it's happened because of the prayer and the faithfulness of God's people. God answers prayer. Last week, we saw 10 people get baptized. What a phenomenal, phenomenal day. Just by way of context, to tell you that God's not doing that at every church in America. Last year, the average Baptist church baptized two people. Two in 12 months. Let me start off by saying that's embarrassing. That means for every church in America that baptized four last year, there's another church that baptized zero. For every church that baptized six, there were two churches that baptized zero. And the fact that many churches have a baptistry that's never been used in the last decade should cause us as the church to say, God, please send revival to our nation, to the world. But to say that last year at Hui Kala, dozens of people accepted Christ as Savior. Dozens of people were baptized and dozens of people were taught in their faith. It's huge, it's special. For the last four weeks here at Hui Kala, we've had somebody saved every single Sunday morning for the last four weeks. That's something special. Eight o'clock service, we had a young lady who raised her hand and said that she doesn't know for sure that she's saved. And one of our faithful church members says, hey, pastor, we're gonna go grab coffee and talk about the Bible for a bit. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This past uh, week, we had 24 people begin the process of discipleship. Some of those were disciplees, some of them disciplers. Some of the folks that are teaching discipleship this time around, this is the first time they've taught it because they just graduated themselves. I look at that and I go, that's awesome. That's the New Testament plan for discipleship. And I don't say that to toot our horn. The only thing that we've done is pray and be obedient to what God told, told us to do. But we've seen God's hand of favor, God's hand of blessing. God's done something special here. And I believe it is a large in part due to the prayers and faithfulness of God's people. And so I say all that to say, prayer is a big part of what we do around here. For our connect groups on Wednesday night, we get together, we share praises and prayer requests. 
And sometimes we'll spend 45 minutes sharing prayer requests and then spend time praying after that and might only have 10 or 15 minutes to actually talk about the Bible. I'm okay with that. You know why? Because the early church, they gathered together and they prayed. And for us to pray with one another does something special for us. First of all, prayer increases our boldness. Prayer increases boldness and develops boldness in us when we ask God to do something and then we see him do it. Thing in my name, and the Father will give it to you, anything. And when we ask God for something and then we see God provide it, it's just like, oh, God answers prayer. That was awesome. And then it develops in us a sense of boldness where we know that God answers prayer. We've seen God be faithful time and time and time again, and now it causes us to ask God maybe for bigger things. And let me just challenge you with this today. This is not a message on prayer, but I'm gonna give you a helpful pointer on prayer. Always pray big prayers. Look, if you've got the sniffles and you want to pray that God will get you past the sniffles, that's fine. But there's people who get the sniffles every week. They just take some NyQuil and go to bed early and wake up the next morning and they're okay. I'm talking about praying for stuff that only God could do. When we moved in here to what was the other side of our uh, building, for those of you that don't know, uh, this October will be three years that we've actually been in this auditorium here. Before that, the children's uh, super church area over there was our main auditorium. Uh, and so we would pack that out twice on, on Sundays, and it was awesome. But I remember when we rented out just that half of the building over there, the, the amount of rent that they were asking was astronomical, far beyond anything that we could possibly afford. We put in our application to be able to lease the property, and the same week that we had, while the building had sat, sat uh, without a, a, a renter for six months, the week that we put in our application, five other businesses also put in their application the same week. One of those was a restaurant, another one was a fitness center, another one of them was a, a stand-up paddleboard uh, company and a couple other things, clothing store, something else. And our real realtor told us, your offer is the lowest of all the offers and yours is the least appealing as well. Well, thanks for that. Um, but you know what we said? God, if this is where you want us to be, we want to be here. God, if you would give us this building, we would use it as a lighthouse for the gospel here in the city. God, if you would just do that for us. And guess what? God did. Fast forward when it came time for us to, to be able to move in over into this side. We asked God to provide for us and meet a need, and God did. And that's caused us to be able to, to ask bolder prayers now. Now when, we, when we're faced with what seems insurmountable, we just ask God for it, and God's either gonna come through or he's got a different plan in place. And prayer develops in us boldness. Take a look, if, you're, if you have your notes uh, with you this morning, Acts chapter four, verse number 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. They began to pray and the place that they were in was shaken with the power of the Holy Spirit and they began to preach the word, share God's truth with boldness. And prayer just lets me know I'm not on my own. I've got somebody with me that's backing me in this. Next, prayer also fosters unity. Prayer gets us all on the same page together. Prayer gets us going a common direction. If you've got something going on in your life that, that, that I need to pray with you about, you need to let me know that. You can, you can call me, text me, email me. You can fill out a connection card, drop it in the offering basket. You can send smoke signals. I don't care. Let me know what's going on. I want to pray with you. Because that unites you and I. puts us on the same page together. Nothing's more encouraging when I receive a text message from somebody who says, I prayed for you today. That lets me know that you're with me in this. 
Whatever I'm walking through, I'm not walking through alone. You're walking through it with me. And prayer creates a sense of unity amongst our community. That's why, again, Wednesday nights when we gather together in our connect groups, uh, Friday nights when our single adults gather together, our Tuesday night group that meets, one of the first things we do is we pray together. How can I pray for you this week? What's something that's going on with you? And I love it when other people say, hey, pastor, I prayed for that this week. Because that lets me know that we're walking through this together. Prayer creates a sense of unity amongst us. Again, Acts chapter four, verse number 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them the things that they ought, with things what they, they possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. It brought them to a point where we're all in this together because we pray together, we share together, we live together. We're just in this together. And again, you might be the type of Christian who says, well, I don't really need that kind of togetherness. I got my own thing that I'm doing on the side over here. Let me just tell you, you're missing out on one of the best parts about being a Christian, being plugged into a community of believers who love you and have your back. You're missing out on it. Don't miss out on it. We need it. We gotta have it. And again, if you are finding community elsewhere outside of the church, you're missing out on the best part of community. Uh, Again, I told you before, the gym that I go to has a very strong sense of community. And while I'm a part of that community, this is my home community. This is my big community. This is my family. These are my people. And so make the local church your, your point of community. And prayer is one of those things that binds us together. It draws us together Prayer also strengthens our faith. Again, when we see God provide time and time again, it creates boldness in us. It gives us more faith. It makes us stronger together. When we're able to pray for something and we see God do it, it encourages our hearts. When we pray that God would bring people here that need to hear the gospel and be saved, and we see people get saved on a Sunday morning, we say, praise God, he's answering prayers. When we say we want to see people grow and develop in their faith and then 10 people want to be baptized, we say, praise God, God's answering prayer. When we ask God that he would give us people that would really shoulder the burden with us and carry uh, the burden of being the church and we see five people over the last week that say, I want to be a member of who we call a Baptist church and I want to shoulder that burden with you, we say God's answering prayers. And now we can ask God for bigger things. God, would you save more people? God, could we see more people grow in their faith and be baptized? God, could we disciple more Christians? Could we be used to a greater degree? We can begin to pray bigger prayers because God strengthens our faith. They continued in prayer. Next we see in verse number 44 and 45 that they also continued in selfless love. Love is part of the DNA of what it means to be a Christian. Let me just tell you this. If you're a Christian who's not a loving Christian, you're doing it wrong, and you need to fix it. And again, lest you think, well, I'm not this ooey-gooey, emotional, romantic type of person. That's not love. Love is this, a choice to put you above myself. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Now again, sometimes that decision to put other people above myself will bring emotion with it, but the emotion is not the big part. The big part is a choice. That's why the Bible tells husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Jesus do for the church? Did he buy it flowers? Did he play play romantic songs for it? 
Did Jesus take this to a really expensive restaurant and look into their eyes for a really long time? You look at that and you go, that just sounds weird, right? Yeah, because the idea that love is those things is really weird too. What did Jesus do? He says, the church comes number one and I give my life for the church. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He put the church first and he put his own desires second. So I need to love my wife more than I love myself. I need to put her first in every single way. Love is so important to Jesus. He said it would be the defining characteristics of true followers of his. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love one to another. Love, defining characteristic. For us as a church, we have core values that we call that really embody the life of Christ and the way that he lived his life that allows us to carry out our mission of the Great Commission. And they begin with love. Because Jesus says that the whole Bible is summarized by loving God and loving other people. So our core values as a church to love, pray, give, serve, invest. That really is just living a life the way that Jesus lived his life. And so they continued in selfless love. Take a look at verse number 44. And all they that believed were together. They made a decision to all be in this together. And let me just say for you, your commitment to community begins with a decision on your part. You gotta decide to be a part of this. You might have attended uh, some type of community before, or God forbid you attended a church before where the barrier to entry was very high. There was a wall that you could not make it through. And it was very obvious there was an us and them, and you were not part of the us, therefore you were part of the them, and you couldn't make it through. Unfortunately, I've been to churches like that before where you're not part of us and you'll never be part of us. So you're welcome to attend, but you'll never be part of us. That is not the church. The church is a family and community where anybody is welcome, but you gotta make a decision to be a part of it. You see, your level of commitment to the community, that's totally determined by your involvement. You get to pick. But I would encourage you. The more that you're committed to the community, the more that you're involved in what's taking place here, the more joy-filled your life will be and the greater God will have the opportunity to use you. There are people who have attended Who We Call It for years that, that there's maybe three people that even know their name. It's the three people that sit by them every Sunday. And I'm not saying that this is a popularity contest and how many people know your name. I'm talking about this. If you're at a place where nobody knows who you are and you come and go and nobody notices, you're not really plugged into the community the way that you should be. And I can say this, that that, to be able to attend here for months and nobody knows who you are, that's a decision that you make because I know this church is one of the most friendly church families ever. If you hang around for long enough, you're gonna get an invitation to people's houses. You're gonna get an invitation to coffee. Somebody's gonna take you out to lunch, hang around long enough. But if you don't wanna be a part of a small group and you don't wanna be a part of the community and you don't wanna be accountable to anybody, you don't wanna to get to know anybody, that's totally up to you. I'm just telling you, you're missing out on one of the best parts of being a Christian. Because I know this, I can't do the Christian life by myself. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I need other people in my life to help me to grow. The work that I have cut out for my life is far bigger of a job than I can do on my own. I need other people that I can lean on and God says, great, I've given you a place to do that, and it's called the church. And so these people, they continued in selfless love. You take a look at verse number 44 again, and they believed, and all they that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. 
I want to be really, really clear here in this case that the Bible never, ever prescribes for you and I that we live in communal living or in a communism mindset and that we pool all of our resources in one big pot and whoever needs something just takes it out of the big pot. That's not what the Bible is advocating here. It's important to understand context on why the Bible says that they live this way. You have people from all over the world that have come to Jerusalem for a, a celebration. These people aren't even from here, the majority of them. They hear the gospel preached in a city that's not their own, and some of them realize that they can't go back home now that they're a follower of Jesus. These are people who before this day were the enemies of Jesus Christ. Maybe they were a part of a religion or part of a synagogue that was actively opposed to Jesus and they realized, hey, by following Jesus, I can't really, I don't have anywhere to go back home to. Some of these people would have lost their jobs. Some of these people would have been ostracized from their families. Every single one of these people would have been kicked out of uh, their religious system or religious structure that they were a part of. Every single one of them. And so now a lot of these people are homeless, without a family, without any real sense of belonging. Some of these people weren't even from Jerusalem. Imagine this, we all go for a, a big festival on the mainland. We all decide to go to LA. We get to LA, we go to this big festival together and we hear something that changes our lives and we decide, I can't go home now. I guess I'll just stay in LA, but I don't know anybody in LA except for these people that are now part of my new community. Hey, no sweat, man. You need a place to crash? Come to my place tonight. Are you sure? Yeah, no problem. That's what family does for each other. Well, I mean, I got like, I got four kids and a wife. That's fine. Bring them too. But we don't really have any money. That's fine. We'll take care of it. We'll figure it out. That's what they did. They looked out for one another. So the Bible is not in this case saying that we should all sell everything we have, buy a big piece of property and go live on that property. That's never the intention of Christianity. And let me just tell you, that's how Christian cults get started. Let's all sell everything that we have and buy a, a piece of land in Barbados and we'll all go live in a community just singing about Jesus all day. That doesn't work. That was not what we were called to do. Believe it or not, Christians are called to stay exactly where you are and infiltrate everything around you to bring them into the community that we have. Not to be able to segregate, but to infiltrate. But these people, what they did, first of all, is they sacrificed personally. Hey, if you've got a need, I want to meet that need. If there's something I can do to help you, I want to help you. And they personally sacrificed for the well-being of the community, of this new family that they were a part of. The Bible says that they were all together and had all things common. Hey, you need a place to sleep tonight? I've got an extra bedroom. Hey, you didn't bring anything for lunch today? No sweat, I've got you. There's more than enough to go around. Communal living that they had because they were committed to each other and they sacrificed personally. We'll go a little bit further. If you read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number five, you see people who had a piece of land and they sold it and gave, gave the money to the church. People began to sell their possessions to give. They sacrificed financially. I don't really have anything to give, so I guess I'll sell what I have so that I can give. One of the most encouraging things for me during this time of pandemic was to see the way that our community came together. I'm talking about community, I'm talking about our church family. I didn't keep track, I probably should have, but we probably gave away 100 bags of groceries or boxes full of food over a three-month period. 
of anybody that had a need, we'll take care of you. We had people who gave Walmart gift cards, Foodland gift cards. If somebody has a need, I want to meet that need. I had a list in my office of three dozen people who said, Pastor, if anybody's struggling financially, let me know. I want to give towards that. We had people who gave above and beyond their tithes and offerings. You said, I want to continue to give and give more because I know that there's going to be a need. We had people that were part of our church family from years ago. They were living on the mainland that sent a check for $1,000 and said, Pastor, I'm sure giving's going to be down this month and we wanted to do our part because we still consider you guys Ohana. Hmm, I love that. You know what that spirit is? It's a spirit of sacrificially giving for the good of the community. One of the men in our church received a stimulus check and he came to me and said, Pastor, I still have my job. I'm still working the same hours I was. My bills haven't gone up. My income hasn't gone down. I could find something really selfish to spend this on, but I want to give it to the Lord because I know that there's somebody in our church family that probably has a need. And I said, praise God for that. And he gave. He said, I could do something with it if I wanted to, but I want to look out for the community. That is a picture of selfless, sacrificial giving to be part of the community. You know what I love about the people that had needs or were struggling during this time? You know what they said? Hey, pastor, could you give me a list of people that I could pray for? You have people that I could write postcards to and encourage? I can't give financially during this time, but I can give encouragement during this time. There's plenty of that. And we just began to look out for one another. We never had a food drive here. We never had a fundraising drive, ever. But people said, hey, there's somebody in need, I want to I give towards that. We had people that would come and drop off gift cards in the mailbox out front in the middle of the night. We had people who would send an envelope full of Walmart gift cards and say, hey, hand these out to whoever needs them. Just again and again and again, people provide because they said, this is bigger than me. That's what community does. That's the type of church that I want to be a part of that sees a need and takes the lead. I see somebody in need and I want to meet that need. Looking out for one another no doubt in the history of our church, there's been people who are just looking for what they can get out of it. That's not community. There's been people before who came here. Uh, it's kind of funny, but it's not. He says, you know, is there a lot of teenagers here at this church? He's like, we don't really have a big teen ministry. You know, I mean, we've got maybe five or six teens usually on a Wednesday night or something like that. We've never had a big teen ministry. But it was kind of strange that they asked that because they've got little kids. Not really. Well, well, we're looking for a church where there's a lot of teens so that they can watch our kids for us when we go out on date nights. Oh, so you're not really looking for a family to be a part of. You're looking for babysitters. Yeah, this is probably not the right church for you then. And I was just struck by that. You're not looking for a community to be involved in. You're looking for what you can get out of it. And you, you did a scan of the room and you didn't find what you were looking for and decided to bounce somewhere else. Let me just tell you, bounce somewhere else. Because that's not a picture of Jesus' church. Jesus' church says, I'm going to help out however I can help out in whatever way I can because they loved selflessly. Also see that they pursued unity. Time and time again, if you read through the book of Acts, you see the, the phrase singleness of heart all together. Again and again, these people were on the same page. They couldn't have been more different than anything you could imagine. The Bible says in Acts chapter number two, the beginning of the chapter, they came from every nation under the sun. 
people from all over the world, so different, so, uh, so different cultural backgrounds, but they were all together in unity. We're all in this together, gang. And that really is the spirit of Christ, being able to love people that are different than you, being able to love people that you could probably get nothing, never get anything out of. And said before that the true test of character is how you treat people who can do nothing for you. That's really the essence of community as well. I want to love you even though you could probably never do anything for me. I care about you because you're a child of God, because you're part of this community. And I'm not preaching this message to, to say, come on, church, you guys need to get it together. I'm not trying to rectify any problems. There's not any problems in our church that I know of. I'm just saying this is one of the things that makes us special. Let's continue this. I've often said that Hui Kala is one of the easiest church families to break into because there's no secret handshake here or anything like that. You just got to to want to pursue Jesus and you're automatically welcome here. There have been folks who have, have started attending Hui Kala in the last several weeks that have been attending online for the last few weeks before that. That Now this is their church home. We had a uh, young lady visit this morning as a guest who's been attending small groups the last three weeks online. This is her first time in the church service. And she saw people that she'd known online and was like, hey, I know you. Why? Because it's community. We're family together. We're in this together because we're all on the same page. Will we have differences? No doubt about it. Will we hand them, handle them biblically? Every single time. Are we perfect? Not even close but we're all on the same page together. I'm gonna look out for you if you promise to look out for me. And all of this will be doing what's best for the cause of Christ, to move the kingdom forward. We'll do it together. And this idea of selfless living is the only way that community works. You know why communism doesn't work? Because somebody wants to get more than everybody else. You know why socialism will never work? Because somebody wants to get more than everybody else. So how do we do it? We do it by selfless living. If you have a need, I want to meet that need. If there's a way that I can help, I want to help. If I have a need, I'm going to ask you. One of the reasons why I believe that who we call is so strong is because it's our commitment to unity and commitment to family here, really. Most folks here don't have close relatives living nearby. For us, our closest family member is 5,000 miles away. Look, if I blow a tire on the side of the H1 and I've got no spare, I'm not calling my, my brother in Tennessee to come help me out. But you know what? I've got family that I could call here that would be there in 10 minutes. Any day. I'll never get the, the opportunity to just call my dad up and say, hey, dad, let's go grab lunch together. But I've got men in our church here that I love and respect that I can say, hey, can we grab lunch today? I really enjoy it. Appreciate some time with you. Birthdays, anniversaries, we had graduation for our, our son a couple of weeks ago. We didn't have any blood family here, but we had all the family that God decided that we need that was here celebrated with us through that. Difficult times that we walked through over the last several months. We walked through it together, here, with family, committed to one another. Because God has given us a community that doesn't matter what family you were born into, 
what your ethnicity is, what your cultural background is. We're all in this together. And again, if you're a Christian, you're not committed to a local body of believers, you're missing on the best part of being a Christian. See also that one of the things that the early church did is they continued to honor Jesus together. Jesus is the head of everything that we do. He's the reason why we do. It's what holds us together, really, is our commitment to Jesus. For us, there was a time that called who we call our church home that we realized that we were sinners without hope. We realized that, that we were rebels against God, that we'd rebelled against God's plan and God's laws, and we'd gone our own way and done our own thing, and that we were standing in danger of God's judgment. The Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And as a result of our sin, the wages of our sin is death. Because I've sinned against God and because you've sinned against God, we're all gonna die one day and spend eternity in hell, separated from God because of our sin. That's what we deserve, the Bible says. But God loves you enough, God loves me enough that he doesn't want that to happen. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. We don't have to spend eternity separated from God. We can be forgiven, we can be saved. And the Bible says that no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Friend, you need to be saved. That's kind of your ticket to entry into the family of God. That's what allows you to grow and flourish in your relationship with God. This early church, the community that they were in, what was the first thing they did? Verse number 42 says that they were saved. Then they were baptized. Then they were added to the church. Then they continued in doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. First step is you gotta... Know for sure that you're saved. There's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. Today's your opportunity. God is waiting for you to put your faith and trust in Him so that He can adopt you into His family and give you everything that your heart desires. But that's a decision you have to make for yourself. Again, we saw last week in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that some of them were pricked in their hearts, but some of them mocked and thought it was funny. There's a bunch of crazy drunks out here telling crazy stories, and they went on. But those that believed, were baptized, they were added to the church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and prayer and breaking of bread. They began to be the church. And so friends, you gotta be saved. Have you been saved? You know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. If not, today is your opportunity to be saved. Those that got saved, got baptized, they were added to the church. They, they became a part of this family and they had all things together. And they continued. First of all, we see that they continue to honor Jesus by being baptized. Over the next, we're not gonna spend a lot of time here today because over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna take a look at the ordinances that are given to the local church that makes us distinct. The first of those is baptism. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Sometimes people think that baptism is washing your sins away. Baptism doesn't wash anything away. Your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior washes your sins away forever. Baptism is just a picture of a commitment that you already made to Jesus. And so baptism is a way to remember, though, that Jesus died. So when a person walks into that baptismal water, it's a picture of the death of Jesus Christ. Then it's a picture as they go under the water of the burial of Jesus Christ. And when they come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways we remember what Jesus has done for us. <laughs> Thankful that last week as we baptized 10 people, 
It was awesome. There, there were people from our church family there. We had probably, I don't know, 50 or so of us there. Some people were baptized and po- people were taking pictures and posting them on the internet and taking videos and posting them on Facebook. It was awesome. But you know what I saw? I looked around and I saw people that weren't with our group that stopped and were taking pictures too. Then other people were asking, hey, what's this all about? One time I had a lady from Australia who came over and she says, what's this all about out here today? Is this some Christian thing? It is, let me tell you about it. You see, these people here are followers of Jesus. And the way that they prove to our church family, to themselves, and to everybody that's watching what they did today by being baptized. Well, that's interesting. How does one become a follower of Jesus? I'm glad you asked. I had the opportunity there on Almona Beach Park to go through the gospel with a lady from Australia. I gave her an invitation to our church. On the back is our church website. Send an email to the address on the church website. It comes to me. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to ask them. To, to answer them. I said, we take this home and look at it. She was like, that's great. What happened? By these people saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, they told other people around, these are followers of Jesus, and other people say, what does that mean exactly? And that day, through their baptism, these people honored the memory of Jesus Christ by picturing his death, burial, and resurrection for all who would see Romans chapter six, verse number three says it this way. Know you not that so many of us as we're baptized... We're baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though so we should also walk in newness of life. Baptism is a special thing that we do together as a community. You see, when I baptized those 10 people last week, I remember the day that I got baptized. It was a nine-year-old boy that got baptized in a uh, small church in Kentucky. I remember that the day that I got baptized, and as I was talking on the, uh, the beach afterwards to one of the men in our church, I said, when did you get baptized? I got baptized when I was growing up in El Salvador. He said, we used to wear the long white robes. I go, yeah, I had a long white robe too. I said, we're a little bit cooler. We got the t-shirts now, right? And so he's like, yeah, that's way cooler. So we began to talk about that. And then at the baptism was one of our men, Daryl, and I remember, hey, Daryl, you got baptized here too. How long ago was that? And he said, I believe it was three years ago, Pastor. Awesome. Then I saw Shade that was there. Shade got baptized at Alamona Beach Park last year too. And we all begin to remember the way that we honored Jesus the day of our baptism. Because baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done for us, but it's also a way for us to, to unite and identify together as a church. Another way that the church, uh, the, the church in the book of Acts as well, continued to remember Jesus and honor him was through the Lord's Supper. We'll take a look at this uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are ordinances that Jesus has given to the church. These are not sacraments. It's important that we define terms. A sacrament is a way that you receive grace or a way that you receive forgiveness through God. And, and this was never given as a sacrament. It was always just a way to remember what Jesus has done. And for us as a church, who we call it when we receive the Lord's Supper, when we take of the bread, it's a way to remember that Jesus gave his body to be broken for us for the payment of our sins. As we drink from that cup, the cup is a reminder of the blood that Jesus shed to cover our sins. It's one of the ways that we remember what Jesus has done for us. So see in Acts chapter 42, Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, continues steadfastly, or verse number 41, I'm sorry, they gladly received his word, were baptized. Verse 42 and 46 uses the term breaking of bread. And Bible scholars 
can't seem to come to an agreement whether this means they just got together to have a meal or whether they actually received the Lord's Supper or communion, as some people might call it. Lord's Supper, Lord's Table, communion can all be used interchangeably. And so we look at that and we say this is a way that we celebrate and remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. That's one of the ways that they honor him as the church, as community, that they did that together. But whether or not uh, breaking of bread actually speaks to them having a meal or having communion, we know that they had meals together because in verse number 46, it said they went from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. We see that the early church, they continued also in hospitality. I love the term hospitality, though when it's found in Scripture, not in this particular passage, but it's found in other passages of Scripture, the word hospitality. The Greek word that's used there is the word xenophilia. The word xeno means stranger or foreigner, and the word philia is where we get our word for phileo or brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That word phileo, it means a brotherly type of kindred spirit and love. And so the word that's used for hospitality, xenophilia, literally means to make a stranger your brother. And friend, that is a picture of community. That's what the Bible means when it means fellowship. To take people who would normally, under normal circumstances, be a stranger and to bring them in to our family. And these people were opening up their homes to have meals. Hey, let's have lunch over at my house today. And they go to their house, and they sing praises, and they talk about how good God is. They talk about what they learned in, in the teaching from the Bible that day. And they just continued on eating meals together. I love to eat. You don't get my size by not eating. Uh, you don't get my size by eating sparsely uh, or uh, green food. You get my size by eating lots of bread, lots of meat, uh, meat and potatoes. I'm that kind of guy. I love to eat. But here's what I love about having meals together. Is sharing a meal together has always been a means of connecting and bonding, always, throughout all of human history. You take a look at the book of Genesis. <laughs> Abraham told his servant, I want you to go and find a wife for my son. And the servant went out to find a wife for his son and asked God to lead him and guide him. And the servant came across a woman who was feeding camels. And he says, this is the woman. And she says, hey, we're having a meal. Come over to my house. And he says, okay. And so he went to the house of this woman. And they said, hey, sit down and have a meal with us, stranger. And he said, hey, look, before I can come into your house, I gotta tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I was sent by my master to take your daughter to be my master's son's wife. And they said, sounds cool to us. Sit down, man, have a meal. Can you imagine that? Thousands of years ago, 4,000 plus years ago, how did they bond together as family? They sat down and they had a meal together. And there's something special about sitting across the table from somebody else and just sharing a meal together. Had the opportunity week before last, a couple of men in our church took me out for lunch for my birthday. It was awesome. And we sat and we ate and we laughed and we told stories. And I learned things about them that I didn't know before. And they learned things about me that they didn't know before. And we just shared a meal and just talked. And when I left, I felt closer to them, more connected to them than I did before we'd had a meal. Was it the food that we ate? No, the food that we ate was great, but it wasn't the food. It the act of sharing a meal together. That's why I love to have a meal with people in our church family. And again, I know it's a little bit different in the time that we're in right now. But you gotta have meals with people. It's a way to connect. It's a way to bond. 
That's why in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Jesus would go to the temples and teach and people would hate the teaching that he had because he was teaching that the religious people were corrupt. He hated, uh, they hated him speaking in public because he was always seeking down upon the religious people who were fakes and phonies and hypocrites. And he'd call them out publicly for that. But then who did he sit down and have meals with? Sinners and publicans. Who did Jesus sit down and bond with? Prostitutes, thieves, tax collectors, and people that the religious group says, total outcasts. You know why? Because Jesus wanted to make a bond with these people. And he didn't want to bond with them because they wanted, he wanted them to think that he was really cool. He wanted them to hang out with him and, and he didn't want to be a part of their, their crowd or their crew. Jesus wanted to bond with them so that he could share truth with them. That's why we as Christians need to practice more hospitality. We need to have people in our home. We need to have people out to lunch. We need to grab some burgers and throw them on the grill when we can invite some people over. Invite some people that don't go to our church that don't know Jesus over and invite some folks from our church that know Jesus over. And let's all get together and talk. There's a family in our, our church that just about every Sunday they say, Pastor, is there somebody in our church that we can invite over to our house? And you know what they're, they're looking for? They're not looking for people that are plugged into a connect group that are already a thriving in community. They're looking for people who are kind of sitting on the outskirts, who come in late, who leave early, and you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get them connected to community. How do they do that? By opening up their home and sharing a meal. It's as old as time itself. Sharing a meal connects us with other people. And that's what this early church did. They ate meals together. Four times a year, we'll, we as a church family will have what we call home fellowship nights where we'll come here on a, a Sunday night and then we'll have about a 10-minute uh, lesson from the Bible and then we'll split up into sometimes seven or eight different homes throughout our island. And people will open their homes and sometimes we'll play games, sometimes we'll sing songs, sometimes we'll just talk and get to know each other a little bit better. The year before last, Angela and I had about 200 people from our church family through our house in the month of December. She makes these incredible at Christmas time. Why only at Christmas? I don't know. Uh, but they're peanut butter balls that she puts in the, the fridge and gets them really cold and then she dips them in chocolate and puts them back in the fridge. Oh my soul. Why those are only made at Christmas time, I don't know. Um, but I mean, she made those every single week. And we had probably 200 people come through our house at Christmas time. It was such a special time together. You know what that was? That was us opening up our home, opening up our life to other people and saying, hey, come in, your family. And that's the idea of what the, the local church did here in the book of Acts. Hospitality allows me to share my life with another person. It allows me to say, hey, this is I want you to be a part of it. Hey, I got to eat lunch today. Why don't you join me for lunch? Hey, I love good coffee. Let's grab coffee somewhere. Hey, you're a tea drinker. I drink tea too. Hey, you're a water drinker. I've got plenty of water. I don't care. It's just an opportunity for us to be able to connect with one another, to invite people into our, our lives, to invite people into our homes. Now, you don't have to wait for a home fellowship night to invite people to your house. And again, I know this time's a little bit different, but find a way to bring people in. And a meal's a really, really easy way to do that.
remember Angela and I, when we were first starting out in ministry in California and we were serving on staff at a church there and we were, we were broke, broke, broke. But we wanted to have people in our home. And uh, at the time, our first apartment that we had was about a 600 square foot apartment, it was a two bedroom. The living room, I mean, was probably half the size of this form here. And we invited uh, two couples over to our house uh, one Sunday night after And we had, I'm not, not gonna lie, Kool-Aid and popcorn. That's it. That's all we could afford. And we were broke as broke could be. And we had to, to borrow folding chairs from the church to set up in our little living room to have a place for, for four people to sit. Because we had like a love seat at the time. That was it. But you know what? We had a blast. And then God allows us to move into a larger apartment. And the, the, the apartment that we moved into there, we had a, a big living room. And man, we, we went all out the next time. We didn't just have Kool-Aid. We had chips and salsa the next time. <laughs> like, yeah, a bag of chips was like $2.50 and a jar of salsa was like $3. But it was awesome. We still had Kool-Aid. You know, like Kool-Aid, we got water. <laughs> we were broke. But we had a blast. And, and there were people that we had in our home that night that are still friends of ours to this day. You know what we just did? We don't have much, but welcome. This is our house. I know it's not much, but it's ours. That's the spirit that the early church had, and that is the spirit that has made who we call a great church. I don't have much, but it's yours. I don't have much, but I'm inviting you into it. I love the process of discipleship. Again, we have people that are, go, that are teaching discipleship this time who it's their first time teaching it because God's still in the process of growing them and helping them grow other people. I love that. But discipleship itself is not saying, hey, I'm gonna give you a slot of time on my calendar. Discipleship is saying, hey, I wanna invite you into my life and show you how I follow Jesus. Discipleship is really about me inviting another person in to watch me and how I do everything so that you can learn from me it's scary, requires us to be a little bit vulnerable, requires us to put ourselves out there. What if, what if I invite somebody to lunch and they never come back to our church? It happens. It's kind of funny, the Thatcher, there were some new folks that had come to our church, and I asked Thatcher to take them to lunch, and so Thatcher takes them to lunch, asked if they have any questions about our church, I don't have any questions about our church, uh, and what questions they did, he was able to answer, and then they like never came back to our church again after that, like ever. I was like, dude, what did you do? I don't know. Good grief. Right? And so then uh, Thatcher was discipling a, a guy who was, uh, had been coming to our church for a while, took him through discipleship, and the guy finishes discipleship. He's supposed to get a certificate on Sunday. He doesn't come back to church. Ever. Dude, what did you do through discipleship? You take these people to lunch, they never come back to our church. You take these guys through discipleship. He doesn't even come to pick up his certificate. He just splits. Dude, what are you doing? I just give him a hard time. You know why? Because the exact same thing happens to me. You know why? Because it's not about me. It's about being able to serve other people. It's about being able to serve Jesus. Hey, every person I've ever taken to lunch that never came back to who we call it ever again, I didn't do it for them. I did it for Jesus. And I didn't do it for me. Whatever happens, happens. You hang around here long enough, you invest your life in enough people, you will get hurt, you will get burned, you will get disappointed, but you have to choose that it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. And being a part of a community says, other people come first. Final thought here this morning. Community is a heart-level commitment 
that produces an outward expression of self-awareness. I know it's really wordy and really heavy, so I'll break it down for you. First of all, let me tell you this. Everything begins with your heart. I'll say that again. Everything begins with your heart. Worship begins with your heart first. Praise always begins with your heart. Love begins with the heart. Anger begins in your heart. Selfishness begins in your heart. Pride begins in your heart. Hatred begins in your heart. So, here's what God says. Keep or protect your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart in check because if it gets messed up, everything goes sideways, everything. So, community, first of all, is saying, I choose to be a part of something that's bigger than myself on purpose. I choose to put Jesus first and others first. Choice that I make in my heart. I choose that everything that I have and everything that I am will be used for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. I make that decision in my heart. Now, community is a heart-level commitment that produces an outward expression. Now, the way that I live my life is a decision of a heart commitment that I've already made. I make a decision on Wednesday nights to join a small group. Hey, look, I don't have to join a small group. Just know that. And now with it being online, honestly, nobody would even know if I'm part of a small group or not. Really? I don't have to be a part of a small group. I don't have to lead a small group. I choose to. You know why? Because I love the people of this church. And I want to be together with them. Every opportunity that I get, I choose to be a part of a small group. I choose to spend time with guys, grabbing coffee, grabbing lunch with, with people. I choose to answer my phone when people call and say, hey, can I get some counsel or some advice from me? I choose to do that. Why? Because of a commitment that I've already made to this community. These are my people. This is my family. Look, I can't come to every birthday party that people invite me to, but if you invite me to your birthday party, I want to try to come. I can't come to every get-together that somebody's having, but I want, to, I want to be there in spirit. One of our men has a change of command uh, this, this month. He asked me, Pastor, would you be willing to come and pray? And absolutely. It's a big day for you. I want to be there. Why? Because this guy's my brother. He's part of my family. Yeah, of course. No lie. We, we looked at the date that, that the change of command was on the calendar, and that was one of the weeks that we were supposed to be on vacation. You know what we did? We shifted our family vacation by a week so that I could be there for that. I said, sweetheart, is this okay? She goes, perfect. No problem. Why? It's a big thing. I want to be a part of it. Now, I can't cancel my family vacation for everything you got going on, but I'm saying my spirit is, I would want to do that for you. You know why? Because we're family. We're committed to this together. Again, I don't have any blood family living here, but I've got all the family that I need living here. I got a dozen guys I know in my phone that I could call if I was had a flat tire on the side of the freeway that'd be there like that. No questions asked. I got people that I could call and at three o'clock in the morning and it says, hey, you know, I just got checked into the hospital. Could you come over and help me with X? And they'd be there in a split second. Family, commitment. I'm thankful that over the years I've been able to be that guy for somebody else. <laughs> I, I told this story a couple of times at our men's conferences, but uh, 
had the opportunity one time, um, Anton Smith had, was gone to the hospital with a back injury. This is an awesome story. You got to hear it. His wife, Min, calls me and she's a, like, Pastor, they just took Anton out on a stretcher. He's going to the hospital. I said, what hospital? She said, I, I think he's going to a Straub. I go, man, I'll be there. And so when I book it down to Straub, I get there and say, I'm here to see Anton Smith. They're like, he's not here. Could you check again? He's not here. Well, his wife said he was here. He's not. Well, maybe he's en route. So I beat the ambulance to the hospital. I got there so fast. And so he comes in. They get him back in a room. And he's telling me what's going on with him. I was like, dude, this is terrible. I, said, I know. And so uh, we're sitting there talking back and forth and everything. And, and um, the lady comes in. And she was like, um, what's going on? And so he begins to tell her and stuff like that. Okay, she was like, are you here on vacation? He was like, he was like no, uh, we live here. And she's like, okay. And she, she looks at me and she was like, um, so uh, tell me about what happened. I, I don't know. I mean, he just called me and I just showed up. She's like, oh, okay. Um, has he had problems like this before? And she's like, asking me. I was like, no, I don't think so. And she pulls back the chart and she goes, are you men? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's his wife. And she was like, oh, you guys aren't together? Well, I mean, we're t not together like that, but we're like <laughs> together. I'm his pastor. He's a really good friend of mine. She's like, oh, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And so then, no lie, the next, next nurse comes in, and she was like, uh, so how long have you guys lived here? And it's just like, no, not you guys together like that. We're like friends. But this is what I realized in that moment. It's a strange thing for two guys to be so close to one another that if you go to the hospital, bro, I'm there with you. It's weird in our society today. It's strange that a guy can be there for another guy and it not be weird. And I thought to myself, I love our church. <laughs> and men came and it was less awkward at that point. <laughs> I kept telling everybody, no, you don't realize we're both married to very beautiful women that we're very much in love with uh, and we're not together like that. Uh, but it, but I thought to myself in that moment, like, man, good male bonding friendship is almost dead these days. Man, let's bring it back. Good Christian womanhood friendship is almost dead these days. Let's bring it back. Like a church that really functions like a family where there's no awkwardness or weirdness or this group likes this group and that group doesn't like that group or this family's been here longer than that family so they get to call the shots and everybody else has to listen to them. All that's needs to be dead. Let's bring back where the church is just a family, where we love each other, we serve each other, we take care of each other. You got a need, I want to meet it. You got something going on, I want to be there. You got a celebration, I'm celebrating with you. You got a prayer request, I'm bearing that burden with you. Let's just get back to that. That's the type of church I want to be a part of. That's the type of church that I am a part of. Let's continue that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, Friend, you're more than welcome to attend this church for as long as you are alive. But know this, you're not really part of the family of God until you're saved. You can't truly begin to be a, a member of this community the way that God intended for you to be until that you're saved. Friend, you need to be saved and be saved today. But for those of us that are Christians, let's make a decision. I'm gonna plant two feet in this community. I'm gonna allow God to use my life here for as long as I'm here. We uh, said goodbye to Scott Keyes in our uh, 8 o'clock service. Scott is from Ireland. He came out here on a job internship for a year, 12 months. He's been faithful to church every, every week for 12 months. It's been awesome to see him grow, and 
We sent a, a guy out to Ireland today to live out his faith. Got some folks that were sending on to Georgia today to go live out their faith. Next couple of weeks, we're going to be sending people all over the United States to live out their faith where God's called them to. But for those of us that are here, I don't know how long God's got you here. While you're here, put your roots down. Get to work. Let God use your life. Somebody came to our church a long time ago. Pastor, I'm not going to be here very long, so I don't want to make too many connections. I don't want to put down too many roots because it's really hard to say goodbye to people. Okay, how long are you here? Three years. What? <laughs> Good grief. Three years? Our church was like 18 months old at that point. Hey, look, you can help us start the church in 36 months. Good grief. But then I've seen people who say, Pastor, I'm only here for a month, but while I'm here, I want you to use me to the fullest extent that I can. And you know what the funny thing is? Those people get more connected in community in 30 days than some people do in three years. What's the difference? A commitment to the community. And so I challenge you today, be a part of God's family the way that he intended you to be where you'll see the greatest joy and growth in your life. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.